gentlemen. Um, our reading comes from James 2, 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I think I'm turned on here. Uh, it's good to see so many friendly faces, and it's good to see the rest of you as well. We have, uh, we have entered the holiday season. Uh, December 25th is Christmas. Uh, the last Thursday of November is Thanksgiving. And of course, October 31st is Reformation Day. It was on October 31st, 1517, uh, Martin Luther, Augustinian monk, monk and professor of theology at Wittenberg University in Germany, University of Wittenberg, he posted his 95 theses uh, dealing with indulgences, and he wanted to provoke debate, discussion on indulgences, and Luther's central thesis was this, that the Bible taught that salvation did not depend in any way on what we do, but on what Christ did for us. And Luther contended that justification, and justification is being declared righteous in the sight of God, acceptable to him, that justification was by faith alone. And in saying that, Paul is agreeing with, uh, uh, Luther is agreeing with Paul in Romans 3 when Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Well, this morning we turn to uh, a statement in this passage that was just read from the epistle of James that caused Luther great consternation. In fact, it bothered him so much that he declared James to be an epistle of straw and questioned whether it should be included in the Bible at all. Well, what was Luther's problem with James? 
Well, it stemmed from how Luther came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, Luther had been haunted by his sins. He knew that he was guilty before God. He had this profound awareness of his sin. He knew that he stood condemned before the judgment seat of God, and he could not find peace. No matter how often he confessed his sin, which was often to his father confessor, no matter how hard he tried, how hard he tried to pursue righteousness, Luther could not find peace. And then Luther, in reading the scriptures, discovered this, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel is found a righteousness from God that is from faith to faith. That all have sinned, all of us, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace as a gift. So Luther finally discovered that peace, that assurance that he had been aching for, and he discovered that salvation did not depend on what he did or what he could ever do, but it depended on what God did for him in Jesus Christ. Just like we read earlier, in Christ alone. And now... Luther, with that assurance, turns to what we just read in the book of James, and he turned to what we read in James 2.24, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And Luther, reading that, you can probably imagine the flashbacks that he had to the dis-ease of his heart, to the difficulties that he had in trying to find peace. His struggles with sin and the bondage to the law. Now this matter is not dealing with some theological nitpicking. It's not some secondary matter of the faith. At issue in what Luther is concerned with and what we're looking at this morning, at issue is the gospel itself at issue is the integrity of the message of the entire bible now james in his epistle he uh, talks about a lot of things he talks about trials he talks about our need for wisdom in navigating the trials of our life so that we are properly oriented to understand and to address trials. He talks about practical issues like the tongue or the use of the words we use, whether we use our words to tear down or to build up. Uh, James deals with all these things, but overarching, the overarching theme of the epistle of James has to do with faith. And it's faith that James brings front and center and lays before us this morning. 
And James, in talking about these things, he's not speaking academically, just for curiosity. Rather, James is speaking pastorally and personally. And what he's doing is he's calling each one of us, all his readers back then, each one of us today, he's calling us to basically pop the hood on our profession of faith. And he asks three diagnostic questions of our profession of faith. The first diagnostic question, does the faith you profess show evidence of life? Does the faith you profess show evidence of life? James begins by calling us to question our faith. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? You notice what James is asking here. He's, he's, uh, he's calling to question. He's addressing a person's claim to faith. He says, what does, if a person says, so he's addressing what we say, what we are claiming. And in so doing, James is speaking to all of us who have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And he's calling us to inspect, to take a close look at that. He's doing what the Apostle Paul does at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says this. You know, Paul, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, to those who are professing faith. But he, Paul says this, examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. Examine yourself to see if you belong to the household of faith. And then what the Apostle Paul does is he presents it as a pass-fail test. And James, this morning, as he brings up the same thing, gives us a test. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Uh, recently, we had our kitchen modeled. Well, this year, we had our kitchen modeled. and First time in over 30 years living in the house and uh, having the kitchen modeled, and it is a delight. And one of the nice things about it, there are piles of nice things about it, but one of the nice things is that now we have these electrical outlets spread all over the place and that are available to us. We don't need to have this one thing with, you know, 20 plugs in it. So it is very nice. So we were having a family dinner. We have a family dinner typically every Sunday. And uh, we're having a crock pot. So my wife prepared the crock pot and we plugged it into one of our new outlets. And that was fun. And a little later, <laughs> that's the good news, by the way. The bad news is that a little later, I went up and touched the crock pot and it was stone cold. It turned out that there was an issue with the wiring. Now, that outlet that looked so inviting ended up failing 
the test. What James does for us is he gives us a test that checks the connection between word and deed. He checks the connection between what we say, what we profess, and the conduct of our lives. But what point is James making here? Well, in one sense, he's picking up a a discussion that he has just made in his letter, where he talks about what biblical love is. He talks about the royal law to love others as we love ourselves. And he says this, that biblical love is never just well-wishing. Biblical love is not simply sentimental. Biblical love is sacrificial and substantial. It, it does things. It acts. It's practical. But on the other hand, as James is now bringing this discussion, he makes this profound point that illustrates for us whether the faith that we profess is real or whether it's something that we have simply manufactured from within ourselves. He says this, If your faith shows up only in words and not in deeds, it fails the test. It is no, that kind of faith is no more effective than trying to feed the homeless by giving them a menu but no food. Then James drives his point home in verse 17 when he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith that shows no evidence of life is dead. It's just like that kitchen outlet. It looked, it was right there, just where we wanted it, uh, offering to heat up that crock pot, but it had no power. It was not a live outlet, and it was dead, incapable of meeting expectation. All right, so here's the pastoral point. Remember, James is writing pastorally because he cares for the sheep. He cares for the flock. He cares for those who have gathered in the community of Christ church. His point is this. If you say you are a believer, if you say that you have faith and therefore are saved, if you believe that your sins are forgiven and that you have the sure hope of eternal life, but... Your heart is unresponsive to the things of God and your life is unaffected by love for God. Then James says your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. All right, that's the first diagnostic question. Does the faith you profess show evidence of life? Uh, Secondly, Second diagnostic question, does the faith you profess embrace the truth of God? Does the faith you profess embrace the truth of God? All right, now what James does is he approaches this question of faith, the genuineness of faith, from another direction. 
And he offers an argument in verse 18. And you notice the first word 18 is but. And uh, there are different words for but in the original language. And this is a word that is a strong adversative. And what James is doing is he is presenting an argument. Like he's talking with someone. And someone is arguing with him. And he says, um, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, he's saying that some of you are going to say, well, you've got your way of doing it. I've got mine. No worries. We'll all get there in the end. And the argument that James puts in someone's mouth in this rhetorical way of presenting these things is he's saying that, uh, that he's trying to say that some will say faith, some will say we're as, presenting these as two different options. Two ways of getting to the same place. Whichever one you choose. How did you get here this morning? How did you come to this assembly for worship here at Ironworks? Some of you took, uh, some came from the south, some from the west, some from the north probably. Maybe you, even though you're, even your own uh, normal way of coming, you deviated. There, there are different ways to get here. And perhaps you've had an argument or a discussion with someone. And that person will say, you know, I, I just am so impressed with your life. I'm impressed by your heart for Christ. I'm impressed by your Christianity. But you realize that there are other ways to get to God. There are other ways, perfectly legitimate ways that work to get to God. Here's what James says to that, verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And behind what James is saying here is that there are not two ways. There are not many ways. There are not other ways to be reconciled to God. There are not other ways to be justified. Jesus Put it plainly when he said in John 5, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death in his life, into life. Here what Jesus is saying, he who hears my word and believes not in him who sent me, believes him who sent me, believes the testimony of the Father, believes what God has written down in his word, believes the truth that God has caused, uh, has inscripturated for us to understand what is true and what is false, what is of God and what is not of God. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from me. And Peter, when you see the gospel going forth in the book of Acts, Peter says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So in response to this, uh, faith or works or faith and works kind of uh, argument. 
James makes a statement that um, someone from Missouri would be proud of. I, I, think, I think it's Missouri, is it right? Show me state. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you how faith and works fit together. One of the things that the elders of this church have the responsibility of doing is uh, interviewing people for membership. Now, how do they do that? How do the elders decide if someone can become a member? To become a member of Ironworks, do you need to be a Phillies fan? There we go, yes. No, okay, you see a debate here. It, might, it can't be that. Do you need to have a, a certain in, income level? Or maybe it's as simple as you can't just show up at church lunches, you need to sign up first. Maybe that's it. Now, to become a member of this church, a communicant member of this church, you need to make a profession of faith. Now, how did the elders figure that out? How did they know whether your profession of faith is real or not? Is there some spiritual x-ray in the pastor's office or is there some sort of rapid test? Now what they do is they listen and they look. They examine your profession of faith to see if it lines up with the gospel. If it lines up with the truth of what God has said in his word. And to see, uh, and to see if your actions line up with what you profess about the lordship of Jesus Christ. James drives this point home in verse 19. He says this, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You say you believe certain things. You believe that there is one God. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Good for you. But don't count on that for salvation. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. It does them no good. Real faith, saving faith, is more than just believing certain facts. Saving faith does this. It knows the facts, It acknowledges them as facts, but it does one other thing by the grace of God. It embraces those facts, trusting in Jesus Christ alone as God's provision for salvation. And that faith shows up in a life that knows and serves the living and true God. All right, that's two diagnostic questions. One, does the faith you profess show evidence of life? Second diagnostic question, does the faith you profess embrace the truth of God? Is that faith founded on something? And the third question is this, does the faith you profess reflect the handiwork of God's grace? Does the faith you profess reflect the handiwork of God's grace? All right, like all good preachers, Uh, What James does is he uses illustrations and examples to make sure that we get it. 
to, to clarify things. You know, we're, we love pictures, and pictures go a long way to helping us understand something. And that's what James does. So in verse 20, do you want to be shown, you a foolish person, um, that faith apart from works is useless? And let me mention here that he says, you foolish person. It's an interesting word because it means empty-handed. It's a, it's a well-crafted uh, vocabulary for James because he's saying it seems like you have something, but are you really empty-handed? And to give us an idea of what faith that works, faith that comes from God looks like, what James does is he holds up for us two examples from the Old Testament. He begins with Abraham, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So what James does is he holds up for us. He draws our attention to Abraham. And what we see as we look at Abraham is we see a faith that is active. A faith that trusts and believes God. A faith that is obedient to God in the extreme. When James says that um, Abraham's faith was completed by his works, what he's saying is this. He says that faith is acting like you would expect it to. Faith is acting like you would expect it. Just like that uh, electrical outlet on my kitchen wall, it would be acting like you expect it to. And what that means for us is this. Our works as believers... Our works, as ones regenerated, born again by the Spirit of God, our works are faith-filled, and they are faith-fueled. All right, James holds up one other character for us from the Old Testament. Verse 25. Well, actually, I didn't finish reading verse 24. Let me do that again. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So he's showing for us, he's illustrating for us faith. And he holds up for us Abraham, he holds up for us uh, Rahab, and he's saying that both figures illustrate God's handiwork of grace in their lives. And in these two figures, Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, and that was a big deal for more than the obvious reasons. Isaac was the son of promise, the one through whom God would carry out his promise. This was the son we are told that he loved. And then Rahab, who risked her life to hide the spies. James holds up these two figures and he wants us to see a functional faith. 
a faith that shows itself in practical ways. If you look at Hebrews 11, you've got a whole list, a whole uh, room full, a whole hallway of faith. And included in these examples of the faith are Abraham and Rahab. And James brings these two to show us faith as a gift of God. Abraham and Rahab represent, uh, represent two extremes. You've got a male and a female. You've got a prominent figure and a peripheral figure. You've got a respected person and one not so much. You've got a Jew and a Gentile. But it is the same faith that is the gift of God that was at work in each one that worked itself out in obedience and trust in the living God. Now James could not make this, the contrast starker when he speaks of Abraham our father, Rahab the prostitute. Yet by God's grace they both came saving faith by the, the work of God's grace. Faith isn't just believing something. Faith is inclined toward God. Believing what he says. Entrusting itself to his will and acting in obedience. So when we look at Abraham and we look at Rahab, we don't see a different species of faith. For Rahab, as opposed to, there is one faith. And that faith, James wants us to understand, is either alive or dead. Real or unreal. Authentic or inauthentic. A product of God's work in our lives to open our eyes to Christ. Or something that we manufacture within ourselves. And here's the conclusion James wants us to understand, verse, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And he says this, just as our unseen spirit animates our physical body, so unseen faith animates our body of works as believers for the glory of God. All right, let me close by returning to that apparent contradiction between Paul and James. That contradiction that, um, that disturbed Martin Luther as it did. Are Paul and James at odds with how a person is justified before God. Is Paul saying that we are saved by faith alone, but James is, say, is James saying we are saved by faith plus works? Is Paul pointing to Christ alone, while James is saying that we add to the work of Christ by what we do? I think we've seen this morning that Paul and James are not contradicting each other. They are complementing each other. And as it is often put, we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. 
Surprisingly, Martin Luther himself settles the matter. If I could have that slide, please. Uh, Here is uh, Luther's uh, description of genuine faith from his preface to the book of Romans in the 1522 edition of his German Bible. I'll read it in English. Real faith is a, this is Luther now, is a living, busy, active, mighty thing. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. Whoever does not do such works is an unbeliever. Thus, it is impossible to separate works from faith, quite as impossible as to separate heat and light from fire. Well, to that, James and Paul would both say, Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, help us examine ourselves to see if we belong to the household of faith, that we might know and delight in all of the blessings of salvation bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. If you could stand, please. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and our joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God. We give you thanks for such a great salvation bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ and for the preservation of your truth throughout the ages. So we join 